This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Hi, this is Eric Paglia in Stockholm, Sweden. Time now for episode 40 of the Polar Geopolitics podcast. And in this case, we're going to go back and look at something that was geopolitical in the Arctic 60 plus years ago but still has contemporary relevance for today. Fascinating topic, a really uh, interesting place. Buried under the ice in northwest Greenland, known as Camp Century. And to talk about Camp Century and the contemporary relevance of Camp Century today, we'll be speaking with the author of a recent book, came out in 2021, called Camp Century, The Untold Story of America's Secret Arctic Military Base Under the Greenland Ice. And with me here on the phone line, we have Christian H. Nielsen, Associate Professor at the Center for Science Studies at Aarhus University. He co-authored that book with Henry Nielsen as well. So, Christian, thanks very much for joining us here on the Polar Geopolitics Podcast. Well, thanks very much, Eric. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, this is something that uh, that I've been interested in for a number of years. Also, my sister, uh, Nicole Paglia, I'll put in a plug for her interest in uh, Camp Century as well. She's done uh, some work on uh, creating a virtual reality environment of Camp Century that you can find out more about at uh, CampCentury.com. And Christian, I believe you were one of the consultants on that project as well. Yes, I, I, I spoke with the makers of the, the virtual reality concept for Camp Century, and I, I actually participated. I was in the Camp Century virtual uh, reality uh, setup during the Copenhagen Documentary Film Festival last year. That was uh, it was really fascinating to actually to be there and also to to talk to some of the people they invited. Uh, one of the, the the Danish scout who uh, visited Camp Century in the 1960s. So that was uh, very fascinating. Yeah, and if you want to get more information and experience it for yourself, go to campcentury.com. All right, so Christian, you've written the book about this topic, something that I think has really gained in uh, international interest the last five or six years or so. And your book uh, came out in uh, 2021. So let's let's get the whole history and up to the present because there's still a lot of contemporary issues and geopolitics uh, surrounding this place that's been buried under the ice. It was decommissioned in 1967, but still continues to attract quite a bit of attention. I even noticed that there's a Google entry with reviews as if it's like a hotel or something and uh, and opening times and things like that. I'm not sure if the uh, AI of Google has kind of not exactly figured out what uh, Camp Century is all about, but it's kind of amusing <laughs> to take a look at that with people yeah, actually making some, some kind of mock reviews like, oh, there's no hot water and things like that. But Christian, first of all, why don't you tell us about Camp Century and uh, some of the history of it and why it is still so much relevant today? Yes, Camp Century was a scientific military base, an army base that was dug into the Greenland ice sheet and covered with ice. So you essentially had a number of tunnels buried into the ice. And inside these tunnels, uh, there were laboratories, there were mist facilities, there were showers and all kinds of accommodation facilities. It could accommodate up to uh, 200 persons all year round under the Greenland ice sheet. It was situated about 200 miles from Thule Air Base on the northwestern coast of Greenland. It was planned as a scientific base in which scientists and military personnel could do a lot of research and development projects involving ice and snow. So they were really interested in how do we get enough knowledge about the very special environment on the Greenland ice sheet in order to be able to operate there with uh, military technology and military uh, personnel. The base was planned in the late 50s, and there were 
a few smaller bases that preceded Camp Sentry. And when they found out that this under ice facility was realistic, they built Camp Sentry as a kind of a full-scale model, if you like, of what was um, initially planned. One of the many interesting and fascinating aspects of Camp Century is that they also used the camp as a test facility for transportable, a small transportable nuclear reactor. So this was a parallel research program run by the U.S. Army, where they were experimenting with transportable modular nuclear reactors that could be transported to remote places where uh, the U.S. Army had uh, their military bases around the world and could supply uh, energy to uh, these bases in a relatively uh, cheap and, and efficient manner. So they transported this small nuclear reactor up on the ice sheet and drove it down into one of the tunnels uh, under the ice. They built it in, in 1959 and 1960, and it was fully operational in the winter of 1960, where also the nuclear reactor was being made critical and started to supply hot water. There was a lot of hot water there. So <laughs> I think the hotel ratings at the time would have been very high. I mean, because what Camp Century essentially did was it made possible for the first time a long time and rather comfortable uh, visits to and uh, experiments on the ice sheet. I guess at that point in the Cold War, kind of uh, the early phase of the Cold War, expense was not an issue. Money was not an issue. This must have been an enormously expensive uh, venture to build this base, uh, like you said, a couple hundred miles away from the, the American air base at Tula and to bring this nuclear reactor. So this this was basically within the realm of the Cold War and all the different contingencies that surrounded that. But it was also at the same time a, a, a truly a scientific base, right? These This was kind of both a military facility and a scientific facility. Is that correct? Yes, it was It was a military and scientific facility. And you're quite right to, to mention the Cold War as a very important context because Camp Century doesn't really make sense if you don't see it in the realm of Cold War geopolitics. So before Camp Century, the United States came up with this polar strategy to make sure that you would have what they called at the time Arctic fortresses in the far north because they realized that any, uh, any military conflict with the Soviet Union would take place or could take place over the Arctic area. So they wanted to make sure that there was security and that there was these military bases. Of course, Tula was the most important one in Greenland, but Camp Sentry was another important installation, a military installation. It didn't serve any, let's say, military purpose in itself, but it was a test or a pilot study for a much larger plan to have an extensive network of mobile nuclear missile launch sites under the ice. So the idea was that Camp Century was a test site to see, I mean, how can we build these tunnels into the ice? Uh, how um, stable are they and how well are they constructed? And if the experiment was successful, which they thought at the time it was, then we can have a much more extensive network. I think they planned up to 3,000 kilometers of tunnels under the ice where you could have railroads installed that could transport these nuclear missiles between different launch sites. And that would essentially make Greenland, or at least northern Greenland, into one big nuclear missile launch site that was not visible from the air, so it couldn't be seen. It was much closer to Soviet territory than some of the uh, missile launch 
sites that were installed in, in Europe and in the United States at the time. And that was Project Iceworm, I guess. That was Project Iceworm, yes. And that was and that was, was, a, was that sorry. part of it was entirely secret, right? And that wasn't even known until the 1990s uh, during some sort of Danish investigation. But Camp Century itself was highly public. That was something that the United States really promoted, an image of, of this modern man-against-nature facility in a remote, mm. hostile environment that showed that humans could, or that the American military, I guess, could actually establish uh, a facility in such a train as that. But how, how intimately connected were those two, Project Iceworm and Camp Century? Was, was was the entire purpose of Camp Century really to make Project Iceworm possible? Yeah, that's in fact not entirely clear from the sources that we have uh, had available for our work. So we've mainly looked at the historical sources in Danish archives, and they give us a very good description of what Camp Century was, and also because Danish experts, Danish nuclear experts, serves as consultants to this nuclear facility under the ice. And the Danes were very careful to monitor it in a detailed manner because, in fact, I mean, Denmark didn't like it at all. Denmark thought it would compromise their uh, relations in Europe and their relations not uh, the least to the Soviet Union because if they were giving away what was at the time Danish territory, two American uh, military bases. So, so Denmark was sort of in a tight spot between its alliances with the Atlantic Treaty and NATO and the United States, but also had to remain on good terms, let's say, with uh, the Soviet Union being very close to the Soviet Union with its position close to the Baltic Sea. So we, we haven't been able to locate very many archival sources in the U.S. archives. And I think this is where you would want to go if you want to find out the exact relationship between Camp Century and Project Iceworm. We know that the Camp Century took place and was realized at the same time as the plans for Project Iceworm were being assessed in the highest circles of the Department of State in the U.S. So we know that the two they were closely related in time and that they were also, you can see parts of Camp Century, there were test tunnels at Camp Century where they tried out this railroads under the ice concept. And we know that that must have been a direct, let's say, precursor for what was attempted and what was imagined as part of Project Iceworm. So some relation, but we don't know whether Project Iceworm was sort of the, the real purpose behind Camp Century or whether... They thought, okay, we Camp Century will serve so many different purposes. The testing of the nuclear reactor, the testing of the um, under-ice surface camp concept, and many other research projects that were being pursued in relation to Camp Century. So Project Iceworm could have been just, let's say, one of the aspects of Camp Century. So there's still a certain amount of uh, mystery here around Camp Century, which uh, really does have a number of different phases in its, let's say, in its afterlife after it was uh, abandoned in 1966-1967. I guess some key periods 30 years later or so in the mid-1990s when some Danish researchers started uh, kind of poking around in the archives, I guess, to see what this was all about when they discovered the Project Iceworm idea. And then even uh, some 20 years after that in uh, 2016 when there was some analysis of the environmental effects of 
camp century, there was some projections made that by the end of the 21st century, that a lot of the the toxic materials there could be exposed due to um, melting of the Greenland ice cap. So perhaps give us a bit of the uh, perspective, uh, Christian, on the afterlife of Camp Century and all the sort of fascinating twists and turns with geopolitical implications that have come after the camp was actually abandoned. Yeah, that's a, a really fascinating story with this afterlife that Camp Century have had. Well, first of all, I can say that it's interesting also to note that at the time, there were very few people who questioned the idea whether Camp Century was a good idea or not. So we looked also in, in Danish media, etc. And and I mean, many of them simply acknowledged and appreciated the fact that the U.S. would have this uh, new kind of installation in Greenland and also with the potential scientific knowledge that would come out of it. So the criticism of Camp Century belongs to a much later period. And the 1990s discussion about Camp Century really, in the first place, has had very little to do with Camp Century, but revolved around the investigations into the Thule crash in 1968. So uh, as some of the listeners and and you will know, uh, there was a a nuclear bomber that crashed close to Thule Air Base in 1968. And in the immediate aftermath of this crash, there was a cleanup operation where several Thule workers participated. And these Thule workers claimed afterwards that they had a higher incidence of uh, certain types of cancers, and they related it to the fact that they participated in this cleanup operation, and therefore they wanted uh, financial compensation. And in order to find out the circumstances about the cleanup, uh, there was a discussion in, in Denmark of the extent to which we allowed the U.S. to have nuclear weapons in Greenland during the, the Cold War. And this was, in fact, just up to the time where Camp Century was made operational in 1959-1960. The Danish government, first of all, claimed to have a, or initiated a, an official policy against nuclear weapons on Danish territory in peacetime, while at the same time secretly allowing uh, the newest Air Force to have uh, nuclear weapons uh, in Thule Air Base. So this double play, if you like, or this double-tongue policies, that was being exposed in the 1990s by Danish journalists and they later also by Danish historians who went into the American and Danish archives to dig up what they could find about these secret agreements between the Danish government and the U.S. and also the extent to which, I mean, how many nuclear weapons are we talking about and what kinds of nuclear weapons? So, but this is when they also, let's say, rediscovered or they, they came upon the, uh, the Camp Century as well. And it's not that it was, had been a secret, but people had, I guess, more or less forgotten about it. And they began also to talk about this Camp Century and they discovered one historical document about Project Iceworm in relation to Camp Century. So this is the first time in the mid-1990s that this Project Iceworm concept became known. And of course, it it added, it feeded into the discussion about what Denmark and the U.S. were using Greenland territory or Greenland for during the Cold War. And I think many Danes and Greenlanders, of course, also were astonished or shocked even by the realization that There had been a secret U.S. plan to actually militarize northern Greenland to the extent that Project Iceworm thought about. So here was a big discussion. It was a, 
let's say it was it was a geopolitical discussion. It was a diplomatic crisis, and I think it caused also, or it did, a, it did cause a crisis in the relationship between Denmark and Greenland, because, and also Denmark and the United States, because first of all, Danish politicians were inquiring U.S. officials about how many nuclear weapons and the extent to which Project Iceworm was actually a, a realistic idea at the time. But also Greenlandic politicians inquired Danish administrators about why they secretly allowed nuclear weapons in Greenland and why they didn't, let's say, consult with Greenlandic politicians also at the time. Well, it seems so like, that was the first instance. Do you want me to move on to the next one, the more recent one? Uh, yeah, I, we... I, perhaps in, in a moment, absolutely. I just want to maybe yeah. put in just an observation, really, about how the Greenland relationship, or let's say the Greenland question, has really been a, a complex one for many decades between the United States and Denmark, and then thankfully, uh, more recently, also with, a, with some voice of the actual Greenlanders as well. But going back to the 1940s, when the United States, I guess, first tried to, to buy Greenland in 1946, and uh, then the building of the Tula base in the, in the early 1950s. Most recently, of course, when uh, Donald Trump was interested in buying Greenland, that also sparked another diplomatic crisis in here in the mid-1990s, as, as you're uh, discussing here, Christian. And now perhaps we can get to this other incident in uh, 2016, I believe, that uh, also created something of a bit of a crisis in the uh, three-way relationship between Denmark, Greenland, and the United States. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and and you're quite right. In the 1940s, just after World War II, when the United States offered to buy Greenland from Denmark, there was, at least from the U.S. administration, there was no consideration at all about the people who, who were living in, in Greenland. Uh, I mean, all the descriptions and images of the times show simply Greenland as a big fortress. They thought of it, you know, we have to build to build enough military bases and have enough military forces there to protect the United States. Denmark obviously had another kind of relationship to Greenland at the time because Denmark had been the, the colonizing nation uh, since the 16th century and uh, Scandinavians have been in Greenland uh, even many hundred years before that. But there was a, in Denmark a deeply felt, I think, sense of responsibility towards the Greenlandic population. But it was also a very patronizing relationship in the sense that Danes and Danish politicians and Danish elites thought they knew what was best for Greenland. So they made some decisions regarding Greenland in the 19, late 1940s and 50s about a modernization process that was begun at that point in time and also involving some leading Greenlandic politicians. So Greenland was, Denmark invested heavily in Greenland in terms of housing and health system, education, infrastructure, etc., with the ambition to, to modernize and make Greenland, to open up Greenland, to lift Greenland, that was the term at the time, to lift Greenland to the stage of the rest of Denmark. So, so you can see there were many different, let's say, interests and conflicts that was going on at the time, and they have not gone away. They have sort of, to some extent, only been enhanced by later developments. The Greenlandic government, they had a, a home rule in 1979 and, and later also had their own self-government. So there has been an ongoing process of autonomy in Greenland. 
with the sole exemption of foreign policy, that is, was from the beginning, something that the Danish government said, this is what we need to handle. We need to take care of the foreign policy of Greenland because Greenland plays such an important role. The Greenlandic territory plays such an important role in the whole diplomatic and foreign relation policy of Denmark. So from that point of view, there is a, a kind of um, a realization that Denmark is not only assisting Greenland and helping Greenland to develop, but also in return is very dependent on Greenland in order to have an impact on foreign relations and a say in global or at least Arctic geopolitics. It seems almost in some ways that there's a certain um, geographic destiny for Greenland to be in the middle of these rather complex geopolitics of the Cold War first and more recently this this new notion of uh, great power competition in the Arctic with uh, China mm. showing quite a bit of interest in Greenland, perhaps for the mineral resources, but other perhaps other uh, geostrategic interests as well there. And the United States taking a much, uh, much stronger engagement the last couple of years in Greenland and its role in the geopolitical map of the Arctic. Exactly. And that, that I think that feeds into the most recent development in relation to Camp Century, because as you mentioned, in 2016, a group of researchers, Danish, American and Canadian researchers, made a rather simple study, in fact, uh, you, you can say, because they used climate models to predict the melting of the Greenland ice in the area where Camp Century is now placed. So what happened when the Americans abandoned the ice, they took with them the most uh, radioactive parts of the nuclear reactor. And they took with them, I assume, the most valuable material and technologies that were there. But they left a lot of stuff under the ice in the belief that it would remain under the ice for eternity. <laughs> in the mid-1960s, of course, nobody really believed in climate change and nobody had a, a very good idea uh, that, that it could mean at, at some point that in a realistic future that the Greenland ice sheet would actually start melting to the extent that it would resurface Camp Century. But this is what the 2016 study found out, right? They, they monitored, they predicted, uh, they made some calculations about how much waste is actually there. So the material waste, there's also biological waste, there's the chemical waste, and there's also radioactive waste there from the, um, the wastewater that was dispatched into the ice cap from the nuclear reactor. And then they, with these climate models, they predicted that in about 70 or 100 years time, we will see if climate change proceeds to happen in, in the way we believe it does now, we will have meltwater coming down penetrating the ice and coming down to the area where the waste of Camp Century is now located. And it will, of course, mobilize some of the chemical and, and biological and radioactive waste that is down there. And we will probably have it will be released into the Arctic environment. So that made people, again, revisit this Camp Century story and talk about some of the responsibilities involved in cleaning up after Camp Century. So who is who is responsible? It was the Americans who built the camp. They did so with Danish permission, a reluctant Danish permission, but nevertheless a permission. And now it's uh, situated on what is Greenlandic territory and the Greenlanders, they have the, the rights to their own land, of course. So that's a very complicated and uh, so far uh, not uh, entirely settled uh, issue. 
What happened in 2016-17 was that the Denmark and Greenland entered into negotiations. Camp Century is not the only waste from the Cold War period that is lying around, let's say, in Greenland. So during these negotiations, they, there was agreement being made between Denmark and, and Greenland to clean up in a lot of these military, but also industrial sites that have been abandoned. And the people have simply just left a lot of waste there. With respect to Camp Century, it's more complicated because you can't really, you can't dig into the ice and simply dig up the waste. It's been scattered uh, over a large area and you would probably do much more damage if you were trying to. And, and I'm, I'm sure also it's technically very, very difficult. So in the agreement, Denmark and Greenland agreed that we should monitor what is going on at Camp Century. We should monitor the, the melting of the ice cap, but also with sensors and ice cores, etc., we should try to find out where the waste is and uh, how it's moving inside the uh, ice cap. So that is what is going on uh, right now. There's a big monitoring project that is up there, and they have different monitoring instruments there, and they're visiting the site. Uh, I don't know if it's every summer, but at least regularly, keeping an eye on, on what is happening there. And then, of course, a decision later has to be made up. What are, what are we going to do when eventually there will be milk water coming out with some of the waste from uh, Camp Century? I think there's been some very recent research, just a couple of months old from what I read, is that they are now saying that they're convinced that there will not be any exposure of Camp Century 100 years from now, based on new data, new modeling, that the rate of uh, snow accumulation will outpace the, the rate of melting and keep Camp Century uh, covered indefinitely. For oh, okay. I think that's a result of this of this climate monitoring program that you mentioned there, Christian. I think they have a website, campcenturyclimate.dk, I believe. is Something like that. And, if you Google Camp Century monitoring, climate monitoring, I think you'll, you'll find it. Yeah, and then, okay, that's, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know about those last uh, results. What I do know that um, the, the 2016 study caused one of the biggest crises ever between Denmark and Greenland, because the Greenlandic government, of course, used this as a as a way in which to to argue that we we should have more uh, independence and we should we should not rely on support from the Danish government because in the past we've been treated badly by Denmark and they have agreed to using Danish territory for things that are are not good for the environment, etc. And now they're not taking, assuming full responsibility in, in cleaning up. So, so there was a, a huge political crisis at the time. And also the Dan- Danish government tried to get the Americans to answer to this Camp Century issue. With uh, as far as I know, no, no success. That's where it's left now. It's, it's also that there's this open question about the extent to which the Americans will be assisting and, and taking responsibility if a cleanup operation is ever needed. Now, the results that you mentioned shows that it, it might not be the case, but who knows? But as you, as you also mentioned, Christian, earlier, is that uh, it's not just Camp Century, obviously. There's a lot of other sites that are that have been abandoned with a lot of uh, material wastes left behind. Of course, you have the Tula base, which is still very much active, but also this 1968 B-52 crash with the nuclear weapons on board. There is still some unaccounted for material there as well, right? I don't know exactly. I think um, it could be that there's an issue there that has been investigated in, in depth. There was a at least a rumor once that there was a bomb missing, but I think that that is not 
True, but it could be that there are still some, as you say, unaccounted material that's missing. I, I must admit, I don't know exactly, but but it's certainly, I mean, that's, I think the part of the largest story here is that, you know, to what extent should Denmark and the US uh, assume a kind of responsibility towards Greenland and assist Greenland now with money and resources for whatever is needed to sort of overcome some of the issues that were inflicted on them uh, during the, the Cold War. I mean, it's very interesting also from the perspective of the um, interface between science and military and geopolitics. And yourself, Christian, as a, as a science study scholar, perhaps you can say something about that, how this was from the beginning a military base, but with quite a bit of a scientific research being conducted there, even back in the 1960s, not to mention this more recent project after 2016. So Camp Century, and let's say the, the U.S., presence in Greenland in general, has also yielded quite a bit of important scientific data, ice cores in particular, going back to the 1960s. Could you perhaps speak about that, about how science can sometimes support military and, and geopolitical initiatives, but at the same time can also have real benefit for something global like climate change? Yeah, that's, I think, one of the paradoxes that we are, historical paradoxes that we're left with when we look at the role of science and technology during the Cold War. In fact, we, we came upon the Camp Century story as part of a much larger project where we looked into the American scientific interest in Greenland during the Cold War because Camp Century was really just part of a much larger initiative carried out by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and, and other military institutions in the U.S. where they put a lot of money into scientific projects that would enable uh, new kinds of knowledge about the geophysical environment in Greenland, uh, in the ice sheet, but also in the atmosphere over Greenland. And you can say that a lot of the knowledge that we have today about the Arctic environment, in fact, it's not all of it due to, but it was sort of many of these research programs started up during the Cold War with funding from uh, military uh, sources, etc. So, so it was believed at the time, and rather you can say that science and technology played a, a major role in the whole military expansion into the Arctic during the Cold War period, while at the same time also a lot of important knowledge was being produced about the Arctic environments. And one of the things that in relation to Camp Century, the U.S. Army, they initiated this ice core project at Camp Century, which was essentially a big drilling machine with an ice drill that could drill into the Greenlandic ice sheet and all the way down to the bottom, I think uh, 1,300 meters uh, below Camp Century. And the results of these Ice core. I mean, the real purpose of these ice cores was to understand the dynamics of the ice sheet in changing climates. So even though, as I said, climate change, man-made climate change was not a big issue uh, at the time, uh, of course, everybody knew that the climate could change. And they wanted to find out, I mean, what, what would happen to the ice sheet if it was getting hotter or colder? And how is, uh, what's the dynamics of the ice sheet? And, and for this reason, ice cores was an important piece of knowledge to have. The Camp Century ice core was the first to the bottom of the ice sheet ice core, and it gave very important information about climatic changes uh, all the way back to the interglacial, the last interglacial period. And of course, this, this was important to see not only past climate changes, 
but also became an important piece of knowledge in the whole, let's say, modeling and uh, reconstruction of climate, uh, Earth system or, or the, the climate system. After Camp Century was closed down, both the Americans and also uh, Danish researchers, because they began collaborating at this point in time, they began collaborating around the Camp Century ice core. And after Camp Century was closed down, they continued this collaboration. And that collaboration has developed into what we today are, we think of as, as modern ice core research, where many more ice cores have been drilled. And we have an extensive knowledge about uh, not only the dynamics of the Greenland ice sheet, but also about past climates uh, due to this, these research projects. So that's a very fascinating story about a, a research program that was initiated due to military interests and military funding, and then later became sort of a, a key research area in, in what we today would think of as climate science. And one of the um, new initiatives from the United States to increase its connections with Greenland, I believe, is uh, exchanges with scientists on on mining. It seems like mm-hmm. that, that is the, the frontier now. You know, after the Cold War now, it's not so much about placing military hardware, although, of course, the Tula base is still there, and I think it's still considered quite important. But now is, is this new phase in Greenlandic history of trying to make it into more of a industrialized or, let's say, a natural resource extraction economy. So do you see that as, as being something that will yield positive results, or is there still this underlying deep suspicion because of the Cold War legacy and all the material contaminations of those decades uh, when the United States was very much intent upon militarizing Greenland? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I, I think the, the whole mining interest, I think that that has a long history also with pre-Cold War initiatives and ideas about how much, and of course, the cryolith mining that was, I think, the most financially successful in Greenland in the early 20th century. But regarding the, the prospects of contemporary interest in mining, I think it's, it's a very, there are two things to consider. First of all, the fragile environment, right? We have to make, we have to consider, of course, that this is happening in a place where the impacts of mining can be rather severe and perhaps not completely understood, at least not the long-term effects of mining projects. But it's also a very fragile political climate, you can say, uh, because uh, what happened recently in, in Greenland with the new government is that they took a completely new stance and said, okay, we don't want these uh, so much mining to, to happen in Greenland and we're not relying. This is also part due to the fact that reports have shown that relying, I mean, Greenland is not going to be, I mean, within a reasonable time span, Greenland is not going to be, even if you invest a lot of in mining, Greenland is not going to be a economically and politically independent because of mining initiatives and a mining economy. And now with the new government, as I said, there's, um, I think the, the whole mining economy concept has been, uh, is up in the air and, uh, and it's, it's not certain what will happen there. Then in terms of some of these new complexities, let's say, uh, the relations, not just the, the very complicated relationship between the United States, Denmark, and Greenland, but also the new actors now showing direct interest, such as China and mining, mm. as we're talking about, being one of their main interests. How do you see that playing out in the years ahead when it comes to the new geopolitical interest in Greenland from great powers? Well, I think, yeah, as you say, it, it adds to the complexity, <laughs> I think, and also to the uncertainties involved. Whereas 
in the past, if you go back to, let's say, the 1950s and 60s, right, Denmark and to some extent also Greenland saw themselves on a very straight line towards becoming a modern society that would take its, uh, let's say, legitimate part in the world and become part of global uh, society. Of course, now we know that that isn't too easy in a story in a sense, because a lot of much more bigger politics is involved. And I think with the, the Chinese uh, interest, yet yeah, to some extent, it has been, I mean, I think what, to my understanding, at least, yeah, I don't know so much about it, but I think to my understanding that Denmark and Greenland and the US is, is trying to fend it off, right? They're, they're trying to, to make sure that that triangle of political relations, even though it has been fraught with all kinds of difficulties, then the, the United States, Greenland and Denmark relationship should continue somehow right and we can we can always discuss whether it should be as trump suggested sort of <laughs> which i think is completely unrealistic right but there are different ways that that relationship can be configured but with, with the new actor the new big actor there uh, china as you mentioned i think that it will remain to be seen whether that can sort of impact on that triangle relationship that is i think at, at least to some extent it's it's pretty strong but it remains to be seen how strong it actually is when it comes down to it. Because the United States, Greenland and Denmark obviously has different interests, right? They, they have very different interests. And it's been, a, I think that can also be seen in the Camp Century story. It has been a very difficult and delicate balance to keep that triangle relationship together. Because with the Camp Century story, there were many conflicts, not the least between Denmark and the United States that could have led to, let's say, ruptures in the in the relationship. But so far it has it has they have succeeded to keep that. And I think, yeah, that, that will be at least very interesting to see how that develops in the, in the future. And speaking of that, I mean do you see any more this is a final question, Christian. Um do you see any more surprises perhaps in store in, in the uh, years to come in this in this complicated think, three-way relationship, yeah, especially climate, with climate century. Climate change is certainly one of the major uncertainties here because even though we have a good idea that the climate is getting warmer and that it will have certain kinds of impacts, I, I think it's probably hard to understand and to realize exactly what it will mean uh, and also what it will mean to for Greenland, but also what it will mean for Greenland in this relationship to Denmark and to the United States. And also what, I mean, there you can also expand it to think a little bit more about Arctic and polar uh, geopolitics as, as you're interested in, in in this podcast, right? Because of course, Greenland is not, it is an island in certain ways, but it's an island with many connections to uh, its surroundings, right? And the, the whole Arctic area, what will happen with the whole discussion about ownership of the Arctic Sea and the, the underground concessions, et cetera? Um, what will happen with Russia? I think Russia is also a very important player in this field. So, and Russia and China, will they align their interests and go more together and become an even stronger partner uh, in the Arctic area? So, yeah, it's a very, it will be a much more complicated uh, issue than uh, you can say that the Cold War was to some extent relatively simple <laughs> compared to what we are seeing, uh, looking into now. 
Well, Christian H. Nielsen, author of Camp Century, the untold story of America's secret Arctic military base under the Greenland ice, published last year on um, Columbia University Press. Uh, thank you very much for joining us here on the Polar Geopolitics Podcast. It's an absolutely fascinating story of Camp Century that kind of keeps on giving, right? It seems like it's something that even though it's been decommissioned for some 60 years, it's still creates a quite a bit of uh, fascination and and even crises uh, very much into the present. Yeah, the ghost of Camp Century is still with us. And speaking of ghosts, the virtual reality ghost is, is up there as well. I'll once again give a plug to my sister's project there, CampCentury.com. Nicole Paglia and uh, some colleagues there have made a really cool virtual reality that Christian has participated in. Thanks very much, Eric. It was a pleasure.